Hello and welcome uh, to our event on Russia-Japan Unbalanced Relations, Expectation and Reality from Abe to Suga. I'm Matthew Rajansky. I'm director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. I want to thank everybody for joining us for what's now the second installment of our Global Perspectives series, taking a look at Russia and its relations uh, with third countries all around the world. So today, of course, we're going to look at Russia and Japan. Uh, tomorrow, we'll feature a discussion at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Egypt-Russia relations with Tarek Osman uh, and my colleague here uh, at the Wilson Center, Marissa Kurma. Uh, now I want to especially thank my colleague Shihoko Goto uh, for co-hosting today's event, as well as the Wilson Center's Asia program for its co-sponsorship. Uh, before I start, I'd like to remind you, you can stay up to date with our upcoming events and publications on our website, as well as our podcasts, uh, which are on Apple Podcasts or any place you listen, uh, and they're called Kenan X, and our newest podcast, The Russia File. Uh, you can also find written analysis uh, of events in Russia and the region uh, on our publication platforms, The Russia File and our Focus Ukraine blog, as well as our Kennan Cable series. All of them are clever references, of course, to the life and work of George F. Kennan, Mr. X, The Cable, etc. Um, and in fact, our Kennan Cable series will feature uh, an analysis by, by Dr. Iwashita, whom I will introduce in just a moment this month, so stay tuned for that. Uh, as I promised, I'll introduce Dr. Iwashita, then I'll introduce uh, Shihoko Goto. Uh, I'll let them speak to open, uh, and then we'll have plenty of time for discussion. I just want to flag now, and I'll remind you again, that at any time you have a program, uh, go ahead and email kenan at wilsoncenter.org. That's K-E-N-N-A-N at wilsoncenter.org. You can tweet to at Kennan Institute, or you can post a question on our Facebook page. And I will simply say, if you include a name and affiliation with your question, it makes it far more likely uh, that we'll be able to read it out. Uh, so with no further ado, uh, Dr. Akihiro Iwashita is the director of the Slavic Eurasian Research Center at Hokkaido University, where he currently teaches courses on border studies, Russian foreign policy, and Eurasian international relations. His research focuses on the development of the Russian economy, with a special emphasis on macroeconomic growth and structural changes, as well as the Russian Far East and Japanese-Russian relations. Dr. Iwashita received his SJD and LLB in political science from Kyushu University, and his LLM in international law from Kita Kyushu University. Dr. Iwashita has previously spoken at the Kennan Institute on the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and participated in Kennan Institute conferences on the evolution of Slavic studies and the meso area approach. We're very grateful to have Dr. Iwashita with us today and to rekindle our partnership with Hokkaido University's Slavic Eurasian Center. Um, now I'll introduce Shihoko Goto and then I'll turn the floor over to the two of you directly. Uh, Shihoko is the Deputy Director for Geoeconomics and the Senior Northeast Asia Associate at the Wilson Center's Asia Program. She's a leading expert on economics and politics in Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, as well as US policy towards the region. Prior to joining the Wilson Center, Shihoko was a correspondent for Dow Jones News Service and United Press International based in Tokyo and in Washington. She holds an MA in International Political Theory from the Graduate School of Political Science at Waseda University, Japan, and a BA in Modern History from Trinity College at the University of Oxford in the UK. Uh, so one more reminder, email questions to kenan at wilsoncenter.org, tweet at Kenan Institute, or post on Facebook, and please include your name and affiliation. So with no further delay, Dr. Iwashita, the floor is yours. Thank you, Matt. Uh, good morning, everyone, from good evening uh, country. 
So the, I'm happy to back to the Canon uh, place. And the, uh, today I, I will uh, say uh, hello to everyone, old friend and new friend. Just uh, I start today's presentation. I wish you look at my presentation here, the uh, Japan-Russian ambulance relations. So the Prime Minister, new Prime Minister Suga, had a general speech at Japan Diet yesterday. Uh, but the, uh, in uh, its polling policy uh, speech, Russia's priority is not so higher. It puts in a fifth row. First, at the North Korean issue, particularly abduction issue. So secondly, the US-Japan alliance served in Asia, ASEAN, in the, in the Southeast Asian relations. Fourth, it's a China, big country for Japan. Then fifth, Russia comes just before sixth South Korean issue. But uh, the Prime Minister Suga uh, made emphasis uh, South Korea as a very, very, very important neighbors, but he never said about Russia then. For Russia, uh, Suga uh, put the priority, of course, the Northern Territory issue. Northern Territorial issue for Japan is very important, but now in the process of frank talks. Frank talks means that kind of uh, no progress for the negotiation. <clears throat> so why uh, such kind of attitude Suga conducted? So my question and answers, does the Suga administration have a realistic approach with Russia? Of course, no. Now, why not? Because former Premier Abe has exhausted his approach with no result, rather worse than before. What a large situation. I think geopolitics around Northeast Asia must shift because Japan want to invite Russia for his side to counter the China. But from my opinion, little hope for splitting Russia-China ties. Later, I'll back to this point, but the firstly, I say something, the geopolitics realities of our regions. If you look out the uh, globe, that's kind of we share the globe, but we look at different views if different ways. Uh, then the, you, most of you lived in Washington DC, you think of the geopolitics like this kind of map that the United States uh, between Atlantic and Pacific, the Russia and China belongs to different sides. Of course, in the Moscow, in the light, Beijing, the West, and that means that the Northeast Asia. But for us, Japan-centered map, we think that kind of. So Moscow a bit far from Tokyo, but Russia and China neighbors, it's very critical to our interest. United States is a most reliable ally, but in geopolitical sense, it's kind of far. It means that US and Japan sometimes have different view on interest and geopolitics of the region. This is a starting point. So how we connect this, our interest? We think uh, every time, but sometimes it's not so easy 
But for Japan, Russia-China relations more and more impacted. Uh, I think, uh, I want to say that point. Please look at these region realities. Japan, South Korea, China. It's a trade volume 2017, before COVID-19. So after COVID-19, everything changed, but you can imagine what kind of relation we shared in Northeast Asia. Uh, the Russia, South Korea, China, it's, it's a kind of a charter. The Japan, China, South Korea, China, it's a great, great, great axis of economic value. And in Japan, South Korea is good. Also, Japan, China is also, uh, uh, Japan, Russia, excuse me, Russia, China is also good. But in uh, concerning Russia, Japan, Russia, South Korea is a very, very low substance in economic trade. How about people's flow? Of course, under the current situation, people's flow is a very tightened. But if you look at this uh, charter, it's very interesting. In Northeast Asia, these four countries sphere, the uh, Japan and South Korea, people's flow almost 50%. China is a bigger country in the 30%, of course, other 70%. It's a people's broad different area. Russia, very small. It means the Russia realities in the Northeast Asia, small presence. And of course, Japan, Russia, and uh, Japan, South Korea, Russia, it's a very, very few people's flows. But if you put uh, the uh, China factor in this area, it's a kind of a different images. So many Russia, China, so strong tires. It suggests us Northeast Asia reality has Russia needs China so much. Without China, Russia's presence in the region is very small. This is a reality that I also illustrated uh, before the today's main topic, Japan-Russian relations. The second topic that uh, the in the Cold War period, the many conflictual zones, conflicts, uh, they concentrated in the middle tiers, tiers of uh, continental Eurasia. Uh, but after the Cold War period, it, it changes because China-Russia's great ties, they serve the border disputes at all. And also the, now it's a very good tied friendship. So the question is that, Russia-China alliance, what is that? So the, from the beginning, I say that kind of Japan want to spirit a ties uh, between Russia and China. Basically, it's uh, based on so-called Professor Bobolo's thesis on strategic tension, Russia-China relation, axis of convenience, Russia-China. So, but uh, the now, even now we have 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but Russia-China solidarity is upward. This is the realities. Particularly first points and the new Cold War mentality in Russia against the United States. I'm very shocked in the Russian new constitution, revival of term of peaceful coexistence. Peaceful coexistence was a reflection of the Cold War period. Now it's come back. This is a, we share the, the uh, realities of the particularly perception uh, context. Secondly, I dare to China maybe 
as a natural partner for Russia. Shrinking of the Atlantic window in Russia after Ukraine crisis, China must be essential for Russia's survival and revival. The finally, this is a point also I should highlight. Why, nevertheless, they refuse the term of alliance? I think this is not necessarily distrust between them. Rather, they love more independence. So in Russian, Jerjaba, it loves Chanko in Chinese. It means that they do not like to depend on others for security. So these values they share, I think this is a uh, really, really cross both country, but they do not use the term of alliance. The Russia's perception on China is very, very up now. So recently I checked uh, the kind of data, what country is a military threat? United States, 40%, China one. What country is friendly to Russia? China, 60%, United States two. What country is unfriendly Russia? Of course, United States, 67, China 1%. What country does Russia share the common sense of mutual understanding? Amazing. China as a third place after Belarus and Kazakhstan. So please tell me why you don't recognize China as a natural partner to Russia. I want to listen to your uh, criticism on me. And we back to the geopolitical axis. So after the Cold War period, the conflictual zone in shifted up and down in the maritime zone. So then you look at the Japan is a very critical position surrounding the maritime zone, narrow economical zone. So we had, Japan had Northern Territory issue with Russia in a doctor uh, Takeshima issue with South Korea, also problem with China on the Senkaku Delta. So we naturally think about to defuse Northern Territory issue with Russia. It's a very good for us. Okay, first part on presentation is closed. So it means that Japan's Russia push too much China and too little Russia. Japan needs Russia. Maritime situation, Japan want to have Russia to balance others. And also North Korea nuclear weapons missile issue, Japan want to something from Russia. However, Japan's red line, constant policy, settling the Northern territories, this is a must for starting point. Okay, realities of average foreign policy. I can categorize three parts. First, it's a foreign policy like sushi convey your belt. It means that uh, if you stay at the premier for a long time, you can travel anywhere. So you can easily uh, take a diplomacy in a panoramic perspective of the world. Secondly, priorities, alliance, GSM like that. But today I pass it. Third, Russia is a mission. This is a today's topic. What is a mission politics, policy? It means excludes foreign ministry. Why they exclude our foreign services? Because our Japan's foreign services know what Putin is, who Putin is. Well, Putin keeps a harder position toward Japan on Northern Territory issues. It's kind of we share. Therefore, from Abe's views, oh, our foreign ministry uh, didn't work well for Northern Territory issues. Rather, they might sabotage, like they 
block out the uh, our, uh, orientation. Then Abes rely on his A's based on Mechi. Uh, it means that Takaya Imai is uh, Abe's first uh, secretary and advisor. So if you remember uh, the uh, our claims of uh, territories, so four islands, they should belong to Japan, but white place, of course, Japan and Russia didn't have a treaty, uh, peace treaty, therefore the, the, the other parts, Nazan Kriyus on the South Sahelin, yet officially be recognized by Japan, like we use this map officially. From Russian views, of course, in all of the crews belong to Russia. Therefore, they put their name and they use this kind of map. All of the Itorufu, Kunashiri, Shikotan, Habomai should belong to Russia. They, of course, claim that. Then here is a point of the borders, Japan's edge, Nemuro city, near in like Nazan territories, Habomais. Key questions. How to solve the island sovereignty then? Uh, Japan's claims uh, four islands back to Japan. It, it's uh, basically the Russians say, want zero options. But the uh, good idea in on the base 1956 Japan Soviet declaration after peace treaty, Russia would hand transfer Habomai-Shikotan to Ireland for Japan. So uh, this is a kind of a negotiation under the base. So, but in parallel with sovereignty issue, how to care the Japan's former islanders, uh, how to develop and use territorial water and the economic zones. And finally, it's also very, very key and a treaty uh, consistent with the US-Japan alliance or not. So such kind of hurdles they face. But reality is mission. So how many others visit uh, the Russia? It's uh, 11. The Abe is a seven years more period. He went to China and uh, Korea, South Korea, two, three times only. I think that the India, three times, Mongolia, same. But it's a Russia, it's 11 times. It's amazing visiting numbers, uh, probably following that the United States. And skipping our foreign service sovereignty first approach. So uh, the Abe administration official readiness, economic first approach with two islands plus alpha, they want to proceed. So 2016, then uh, the Abe and Chin uh, want to move the approach, so-called new approach for the Northern Territory issues. So the, uh, this year, uh, Sochi, Vladivostok, Putin and Abe met. Uh, they have a very good conversation for economic cooperation. As far as Abe told that economy, Putin smiled. Then uh, we had so many good mood in the press on the Japan. Shikotan Habomai could come back. John Ruro Kunashi Petrov would be possible. It's a very romantic idea, but we are very, very fashioned. But uh, the, before coming to Japan December, Putin says that on our press, Japan thinks territory issue, but we don't. No basis for transfer of Kunashiri. Of course, uh, joint declaration mentioned the transfer of Shikotan Habomai to Warrant, but nothing about concrete co condition. 
Further negotiations are must. Finally, China is the number part, number one partner, more important than Japan. At, like a reporter, I fly to the place of meeting in Yamaguchi, hometown uh, the, for Abe Shinzo, the meeting with uh, Putin. Then the December 15, then Yamaguchi, uh, so many media like a festival, but Putin cooled down three hours delay, uh, delay as he always did. Uh, 90 minutes talk phase two felt there, but no progress on territorial issues, just frank talks over the peace treaty issue. That's it. So I back to the Tokyo for the kind of, of the TV program live to look at the Putin and Abe's joint press conference. So no joint statements, no concurrent results, no work on the territorial disputes. So I'm very shocked. What did he do? So I conclude soon in a ten, couple minutes, Putin's policy reaction. I again said non-existence of a territorial dispute for Russia. The, the Japan, the loser, accept results of World War II. Joint declaration just as a basis for peace treaty and no non-conditional transfer. So from December uh, 2016 now on, so what's progress? Factually no progress, just Vladivostok 2018, uh, the uh, Economy Eastern Forum. So Abe asked Putin to make more endeavor to sign peace treaty. Then Putin reacted, if you want more, okay, peace treaty, but without any condition. Japan's very shocked. We would lose two islands. Then Singapore in uh, 2018, November, uh, Abe say that, okay, that's okay. Only two islands, Etorofukunashiri, November. But Putin never consist. Okay, that's good. We discuss a condition for transfer. United States would be deployed on territory. What do you do? So finally, Japan never accepts that condition. So Putin says that, okay, you are no independent. You ha don't have independent decision for security. So I think that Putin does not like uh, non-Jeru-Java states. So um, 2019, what happened? A level of foreign minister is a very, very, very harsh comment on Japan. Uh, the, as a Japan citizen, it's kind of a shame. He says, do not distort Singapore agreement, accept world war to result as a loser, no more calls for Japan, Northern Territories. You drop out Northern Territory term. Finally, no US in the island. Then my conclusion is that no hope near future. So the conclusion is ending the myth of return for islands, ending Northern Territories movements, and no alternative plan. It means that Suga, even he says that resolving the Northern Territory is a good, necessary for Japan, factually he does not want to do anymore because of the just failures failures. So uh, the, uh, several years ago, I was invited to the Barley Club. Uh, fortunately, someone 
took a photo in the Putin and me. This is the back of Putin. It's very rarely rare show. But the, uh, we look at Putin in the front, then he smiled, but uh, I did not smile. But we, Japan and the United States uh, researchers, should think together on how Putin think on the back and what back of the Putin. This is uh, today's my presentation. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Iwashita. Uh, I'm reminded by the description that the quite um, uh, dismaying, uh, especially from the standpoint of Tokyo, description of this sort of hopeless policy, which is nonetheless an obsession. Um, I guess I would say uh, it's not only Japanese leaders who do that. Um, but let me let me pass the floor to my colleague Shihoko uh, for a comment on this, and then we'll open up the conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Matt and Professor Iwashita, thank you very much for that co comprehensive analysis of uh, what Suga's challenges will be regarding uh, its relations with, with Russia. I, I want to make two uh, points really, um, just to articulate a little bit about what you said about um, Abe bypassing, um, circumventing the foreign ministry and really getting more power uh, to determine foreign policy. That's really been a notable hallmark of the Abe government. And regardless of whether you are, you have been a supporter or not of his uh, strategic vision um, and implementation of policies, certainly uh, the one of the hallmarks of the Abe government had been that it put Japan into, he, he strove to put Japan into a higher, uh, position of influence in the international community. And that was not just in foreign policy, but also in particular in trade policy as well. Um, one of the Achilles heel of Abe had been his uh, difficulties in reconciling with the historical uh, baggage of Japan, uh, both during World War II and, and before that. And we see that uh, especially um, coming to the forefront in Japan's continued uh, tempestuous relations with Korea. Um, but also it could be argued that it was an Achilles heel for, for Abe regarding Russia as well, that there had been this overemphasis on trying to move forward from um, its history, trying to reach a peace agreement, trying to have uh, reclaim uh, lost territories during World War II. Uh, without perhaps seeing what the bigger strategic vision of Japan's uh, relations with Russia moving forward in the future might be. So that brings me to the issue of um, Prime Minister Suga. Um, we say that Suga is very much, has adopted a lot of the policies of uh, the Abe administration. He's adopted a lot of the personnel, certainly, and he's as you said at the beginning, he's outlined some of this, uh, the high points of what Japan wants to achieve and the order does not, perhaps it's not the correct way for Japan to approach its foreign policy vision, but it certainly is something that is reflective of the, um, the, of the other government. But that said, when it comes specifically to Japan's future relations with Russia, Suga does not have that emotional tie as much, the personal drive to move forward on, um, on reclaiming 
the Northern Territories, perhaps, um, from a per personal emotional perspective. So can he perhaps have a more realistic, a more realist approach in dealing with Russia? I ask that um, because he can actually see um, what the challenges will be for Japan in the changing geopolitical landscape. But at the same time, even if he has that will to take on a different approach, perhaps not focus so much, be able to shelve the issue of territorial dispute. Of course, Japan has territorial disputes, not just with Russia, uh, but with Korea, with China as well. The idea of territorial disputes is, is very much alive in, in the Asia Pacific and Japan is part of that. But can, can um, Suga kind of overcome some of the obstacles that were put by Abe and focus much more on shelving the Northern Territory issue, not be so focused on having economic incentives to bring Russia to the table and to have a better strategic approach, given that here in this country, we are going to have an election. Uh, there may or may not be a change in American leadership, but just like the United States is um, there is bipartisan support, both from the Democrats and the Republicans, to take on a stronger approach to China. There is also this bipartisan U.S. approach to see China increasingly as a security threat. And that, that threat actually is not actually shared as much with Japan. Um, but is there a possibility for a greater alignment of how Japan may view China, uh, may view Russia, um, and allow it to play a greater role in stabilizing a very uh, tumultuous region. Yeah, those are, thank you very much, Yehoko. Those are quite frankly, many of the questions uh, that I had in my mind. Um, before uh, we, we continue with our portion of the discussion, I wanna remind folks, um, we, we've got questions coming in, uh, but you can add more to the mix. Uh, email canon at wilsoncenter.org tweet at Cannon Institute or post on our Facebook page and include your name and affiliation. Um, let me start with, I, I fully understand uh, that this is maybe um, challenging one of the central premises of uh, Japan's policy towards Russia for decades, uh, now the better part of a century. But can I ask it this way as, a, as an, an ignorant and unfamiliar outsider to this relationship. Um, why do the islands have to be the gateway issue for everything else? Why can't this be an issue that is compartmentalized as in so many relationships? And, and I just, if I can, uh, again, not, not being an insider to, to East Asian politics, I would suggest it. It seems to me that as between Tokyo and Beijing, there are a great many issues that are effectively compartmentalized while the two pursue mutually beneficial cooperation. Why can't it work that way uh, with respect to the islands issue with, with Russia? Uh, prof professor. Okay, now I return. So uh, the, thank you for the question. Uh, the, your question is related is uh, the Goto-san and because uh, the how we Japan 
think of history of foreign policies. This is very important, not only the bilateral relations. When I, Japan, when Japan was defeated by World War II, what Japan did to, to uh, recover the relations with uh, countries, some country was the enemy, some countries, some countries of ex-colonials. So, but if you closely look at the uh, Japan's foreign policy from the end of World War II, so two countries remains in the context. Of course, we had a good time with the United States. We rehabilitated the relations with China in the 70s. The August 65, in, uh, we had a good time with uh, the Southeast Asia. Of course, Korea's at the same time. But the North Korea and Soviet Union, this is a kind of uh, hole of our foreign policies. Without the normalization, there was two countries, Japan never be back to the uh, normal position. So Premier Nakasone and Premier Koizumi, you remember what did he, they do, particularly Koizumi, he wanted to have good relations and try with North Korea. Of course, he did something with Russia at the beginning. So in this sense, this kind of the mission, the uh, big, big uh, premier in Japan take a law for to rehabilitating, rehabilitating these two countries. This is a starting point. In Russia-Soviet Union, it's also in a sense of post-World War II process. So now we had only territorial issues with Russia. But if we back to the post-war process, United States had Ogasawara, Okinawa, and even sometimes Amami Islands. So Japan tried to get own territories back as Japan did possibly. So, most of the issues are solved, but dispute problem with Soviet Union remained. When we back to the history, the process of negotiation 1956, Japan tried to have a peace treaty then, but failed. Then joint declaration and after peace treaty, Soviet Union would transfer to us. This is a result. But then both countries, Soviet and Japan, tried to have a peace treaty ending the war. So the non-territorial issues, when now we focus only that point, on only the Russia-Japan relations we look at. But it's in the post-war process of Japan's back to the world. Then final issue is in particularly territory, Japan, it's a northern territory issue. Of course, two islands, four islands, other options, we can discuss. I mean that, therefore, this is a very, very important issue, even uh, only Russian context. I return more questions to the Suga, and, uh, uh, but, but uh, later I'm back, thank you. Yeah. Okay, did you wanna comment on that as well, Shioko? 
Yeah, ju just one specific thing um, about where we find ourselves today and, and moving forward on these territorial disputes that are so pervasive. Um, it is an emotional issue um, that doesn't necessarily reflect the geopolitical, you know, strategic end game. Um, and as we see a rise in nationalism um, across the region and indeed across the world, I think this issue about territorial disputes will only take on even greater significance. And one thing about Suga is that he is not only a newly appointed prime minister, he has been become prime minister without um, going through the election process. Um, he does need to call in an election uh, within the next uh, 12 months. And if he is seen to back down on something as emotionally and politically charged as the territorial dispute with Russia, then it would really be a political negative for him. So um, that's something we should really bear in mind. I'm, I'm gonna enjoy my prerogative of asking kind of um, off the wall questions. Uh, and add one more, which is you may have noticed over the past several years as the US-Russia relationship has continued to deteriorate, and in particular, as the US-Russia dialogue has basically ended, there's just really no official dialogue. There are incidental meetings between the two presidents, sometimes no proper summits, no normal diplomatic contact and very limited security contact. Um, some U.S. allies have stepped into the breach, uh, notably Germany uh, and Israel, with, I would say, pretty limited results. In fact, in some cases, pretty disastrous results uh, in attempting to try to be go-betweens, if you will, for Washington and Moscow. Um, dare I put Japan on that list of a potential go-between for Washington and Moscow as a neighbor of Russia, an American ally, you know, one of the world's top economies, and of course, very much in the crosshairs of uh, the worsening security situation in the Pacific. It, is it crazy to think Japan could play that role or would want to play that role as an intermediary? I back to the last questions. Uh, thank you for the uh, recognizing Japan as a very good <laughs> position. But the uh, factually, as I told uh, before, Russia uh, is regret uh, recognized Japan as a classic meaningful power because of the uh, we do rely on the United States for security issues. So if this is a very, very big if, uh, the Japan became more independent for security probably uh, Russia uh, consider Japan a bit different way. But the uh, problem is that uh, Japan's uh, choice relations with United States more deeper and deep uh, mutual uh, dependent. So I think that the, in this sense, uh, Japan's role is kind of mediator that, that make a sense, uh, but uh, the, I hope uh, the Japan try to do such kind of orientation in context of the more balanced US-Japan alliance. And back to the uh, Shihoku-san, the uh, concerning nationalism, 
Northern Territorial issue has been a uh, long, long issue, time issues in contracts with uh, China, on, uh, particularly China. So the territorial issues and nationalisms boom even now in only China, China, of course, some Korea, but for Russia, not so strong. Therefore, Abe Shinzo decide to get only two islands, leaving Entrofknashiri big islands for Russia. But most of the population can accept this decision if Putin agrees. This is my guess. The Abe's uh, control and policy to two islands getting Japan, even to give up Etrofukunashiri. I think that our people, of course, uh, some people criticize that from the nationalist views, like uh, some right wing papers, but I think that most of the people accept that. The miscalculation for Abe's administration, just small things, but big, big things. Putin did not agree to that deal. So in a concept of nationalism uh, framework, Northern Territory is not so issue. Therefore, they, if Suga want to do something, he can, but to warrant offer is a difficult to be accepted by uh, Putin. And one more thing that the, uh, what Suga will do. This is a simple question for me, because back to pre-Abe period. Uh, I remember the 2010 or 9, 11, before Abe came back. So our foreign policies uh, had a very, very prudent direction. Japan kept claims for islands, kept claims for islands. But in parallel, Japan tried to develop ties with Russia in any sense, in any economic or the securities or cultural. So Japan never gave up for islands, but developed develop ties with Russia. I think it was very reasonable, rational, but Abe changed the policy at all. We can't be back for islands. This is a challenge for us. Thank you. It's it's very interesting if I can observe there. You know, I, I can't help as someone who studies the the opposite and the western end of uh, the former Soviet Union and Eurasia. I see so many parallels. You know, for example, in the in the dispute over uh, Crimea and eastern Ukraine, uh, there are these you know theoretical arguments, very intense. Uh, fights within the Western camp, you know, uh, Ukrainians themselves and Poles and Germans and, you know, Americans and, and uh, Baltic nations all have a very strong opinion about what should or should not be on the bargaining table. The fact of the matter is, unless or until Mr. Putin is prepared to accept any compromise, there's no bargain. It's, it's an academic discussion. 
And it, it's very, the dynamic of this reminds me very, very much of what you've described. And, and I think it underscores the position that the Kremlin likes to be in, which is to hold the kind of final decision-making uh, power or veto, if you will, uh, and to sort of let everybody else struggle to come up with proposals and, and, and they simply have the option to say, yeah. Um, if I could bring you in, Shihoko, I wanna add another question. You're welcome to comment on this as well. Um, but you may have uh, read that in the last week uh, at Valdai, which is his kind of uh, uh, favored uh, platform for making pronouncements like this, uh, Putin uh, for the first time, and this was, I think, very intentional, did begin to speak about a, a possible Russia-China military alliance. Um, I think with what I know about the Russian system, it's, it's very unlikely he would have done that without having had some conversations uh, with his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping, uh, beforehand. It doesn't mean that they're announcing such an alliance, but that they have essentially both agreed to kind of float with the publics and the wider world, how would this be perceived? And this would be a very smart way of doing that. My question, of course, is if that's the way the wind is blowing, and there are so many signs for so long that it has been, despite what Professor Iwashita has said about the, the, the uh, priority that both sides have on like independence of action and not tying themselves down, that's very true. Um, to what degree is that a game changer for Japan, a country which would physically find itself, I mean, in, in effect, hemmed in? Uh, by uh, two enormously powerful uh, then military allies and, and rivals of uh, the US-Japanese alliance. What, what do you make of that? Shihoko, I'll go to you on that first. Um, that's, that's really interesting. As we have kept repeating during this conversation, uh, the region is in flux. Um, there's a great deal of not just rivalry, but also tension and a lot of changes in the dynamics and relationships between countries in the region. The challenge um, in, for Japan, especially over the last four years, but even before that has been a greater unwillingness for the United States to be um, as strong a Pacific power as it had been. Um, and we've seen new uh, permeations of, of uh, partnerships. And we had seen under the Trump administration the evolution of an initiative that had initially been launched by Prime Minister Abe himself um, during his first term in office, namely a bigger outreach to what's called the Indo-Pacific, the Indo-Pacific strategy of free and open Indo-Pacific. Um, but that hadn't really materialized as much, and it was seen much more as an offset against uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative. What we are seeing now though, in terms of security alliances is a growth in the quad, the quad um, which is uh, Japan, Australia, uh, the United States, India. And so we're having, um, and that is a security front. And I would think that the quad um, evolution, uh, regardless of whether there is a continuation of the Trump administration or a new Biden administration, the quad is expected to continue to flourish. And so Japan would really be incentivized to, to bring in those partners and especially to reach out to India as well as to Southeast Asia as well. 
Professor Iwashita, do you want to comment on the on the uh, Russia-China alliance issue? And then I, I do want to pivot and bring in some of our audience questions. Just one, uh, the uh, reply. Uh, I think that the military technical cooperation would be a deep more and probably uh, quasi-alliance like. But the issue is that uh, they do not want to uh, become under others' authority, command. So the, in the military sense, how keep the even relations, equal relations? I think it's a very serious discussion. They, both of them do not want to be under others, uh, the command. This is the first point. Secondly, a geopolitical asymmetry or also problem because uh, Russia basically look at the European front, Atlantic front, but China pay much more in uh, Pacific, Northeast Asians. This kind of assimilarity is also some problem. Because, so therefore, if they work for uh, becoming uh, allied uh, orientation, it takes much more time. Yeah, I think I think that's probably correct, and I and I certainly did not mean to imply that uh, we're going to have a North Pacific Treaty Organization or something announced by uh, China and Russia anytime soon. Okay, let me go now quickly to, to audience questions. I realize I've, I've taken up too much time selfishly with my own. Um, first, uh, Rosemary Griffin, who's the managing editor of Russia Commodities and Energy News, S&P Global, asks, how do you expect the recent change in government in Japan to impact uh, Russia-Japan energy links? Do you think the new government will look to increase energy cooperation with Russia? Are there any priority areas for energy cooperation? Um, so who wants to tackle that one first? And if we keep our answers fairly brief, I'll, I'll be able to get through all of them. Very simply, uh, the uh, Abe's uh, ending means that the uh, Meiji-based orientation endings. So we now know the power of Meiji economy, uh, the uh, ministry is down. It means that it could be a cooperation with Russia the energy cooperation could be down if it worked in the strategically. But in the economically, it makes sense. Nevertheless, I think that it would work. So it depends on the less political, more beneficial. So. Shihoko, do you want to comment on the energy question? Well, just just one thing, uh, two things really. Um, the environmental concerns, Japan is really trying to promote itself as a uh, carbon neutral country. Um, and so how that will impact energy imports will be, uh, that will be a big consideration. Um, let, let me leave it at that. Yeah, I, I recall reading this morning, uh, carbon neutral by 2050 or something like that, uh, right. the Suga government. Yeah, so this definitely runs counter. I'm fairly certain that Russia is not exporting any green energy at this point. Um, so John, John Stephen, uh, who's an emeritus professor at the University of Hawaii asks, uh, most Western observers, including some leading specialists have publicly declared the Northern territories can and will be solved. Uh, for example, Henry Kissinger said by 1991, I guess that was not correct. Uh, any thoughts on uh, what might sustain such optimism uh, over the course of seven decades, despite our conversation? Professor Washington, I think that one's to you. <laughs> uh, I think that the, uh, it's a very challenging to me 
but the, if Japan uh, they retract more, less islands demand position, uh, I think that's some possibility. Uh, there we uh, fix the two island back option, but the islands not one, and the, it could be cut half and half, not half and half more. There, uh, of course, in Habomai, it's uh, islets, it's small groups. So the, if we, we have some idea to the, uh, seek the different format, but it's less than two islands, the, uh, theoretically it could be, but uh, I think that the current situation, uh, the Japan government never uh, look forward to this more complex, more concession orientation. So it means that uh, no progress. Shihoko, any any comment on why the optimism among Westerners? And I have to I have to concede, I myself wrote a, a foolishly optimistic article back in 2015 on the assumption that uh, Russia would be so interested in in trade normalization with Japan while it suffered from sanctions. Uh, from Europe and the United States that it would go for the deal. And I was, of course, completely wrong. Shehoko, did you know? Okay. All right. Um, well, let me take, let me take uh, one last question here and then we'll wrap. Um, this actually comes from David Wolf uh, at Hokkaido University, also a former Wilson Center scholar uh, in the Cold War International History Project. Uh, he says, uh, Dr. Washta, uh, in commenting on why Russia and China don't call their relationship an alliance, implies that security issues are not the main part of their relations. But what about Russian arms sales uh, and Russian participation in military maneuvers in the South China Sea near Taiwan, around the Senkaku Islands in recent years? Isn't this encouraging China's aggressive behavior in the region? Um, in a strategic triangle, wouldn't it be in Russia's interest to encourage Chinese friction uh, with the US. And if I can add to that, um, it's a two-way street. I recall uh, within the last year and a half, two years, China sent a flotilla to the Baltic Sea to participate in exercises with Russia. I mean, I, I found that shocking uh, as someone who watches uh, that part of Europe to suddenly find Chinese military power showing up at Russia's invitation. I'm not necessarily against this idea. I accept these uh, realities, but they're concerning the term of alliance. Uh, I hesitate to use that even in uh, toward alliance. So the, I'm thinking why both countries uh, do not want to have alliance. So I think this is a very state uh, how to say is uh, what states we are. This is a very key stance for their statesip. Uh, of course, in the technically and their more tactical uh, context, I believe that as David suggests that both countries more cross, cross, cross to cooperate anywhere in the world. Maybe if you guys don't mind, I'm gonna ask one uh, final question for both of you. It's, it's again, somewhat speculative, but I wonder, um, would it again be over-optimistic, uh, perhaps out of ignorance on my part, to think that the clear drive from Pyongyang 
to deploy uh, a, a world-threatening ballistic missile capability, uh, the latest missile being a very good example, that it might bring uh, maybe not a complete revolution, but a, a realignment around the, the North Korea problem so that both Russia and China, for their part, and the US and Japan uh, and South Korea too might come come seriously, especially, you know, I don't want to get political here, but especially after November 3rd, if there's if there is a different uh, uh, administration in Washington, I mean, could you see North Korea as a sort of come together opportunity for what is what is starting to look like a new, you know, Cold War type dynamic in East Asia? I think that the, uh, it's a very interesting uh, story. Uh, however, the, uh, even the uh, Pyongyang has a capability to push us together. The uh, policy aims, policy intention is also clear. Uh, they not necessarily against Russia and China so much, but to us. So the if, if Pyongyang changed his policy orientation, uh, the ones uh, I, I was remember the more than 10 years ago, the uh, Kim Jong-il then, suddenly says that United States was a natural partner for North Korea like that. Then uh, such kind of uh, discourse come back. I think that I bet you. <laughs> Shihoko, final word. Yeah, um, so what are the hopes for a six-party talk 2.0, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, the situation has evolved not just in North Korea's own capabilities, but also the uh, relationship that each country has with, with North Korea. Japan, of course, is the only country amongst them that hasn't had a bilateral um, with Pyongyang, but um, there is no real united front in what is expected from North Korea. And I don't think the increased tensions and increased capabilities has actually led to a greater united front. In fact, I think it's actually become more divisive. And certainly, um, you know, tensions between Japan and Korea, Korea South Korea's own uh, evolved relationship with the North, um, has made it much more difficult to put that into the calculus for un unity. Well, we promised a discussion of unbalanced relations. Um, I think we may have uh, also touched on disharmony and maybe also a tipping point to extend the metaphor probably too far. Um, I want to thank both of you. This has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I want to remind everybody to look for uh, Dr. Iwashita's uh, paper, which will come out as a Canon cable uh, sometime uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so thank you again, everybody. Thank you for the questions. Thanks to the audience. I know it's late in Japan. It's early on the East Coast of the United States. So uh, we will be putting this recording out online as well. Again, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.